Hello and welcome to the Grin Podcast. I am Hindol Singh Gupta. I am delighted to have a special guest on the podcast today. Her name is Braja Sorensen. She's an Australian who's lived in India for many many years. She lives in a place called Mayapur. She's a writer, a poet. She spent many years studying uh, various aspects of Hindu theology and yoga in particular. She has done a lot of research on the Bhagavad Gita, one of the seminal texts in the Hindu pantheon of texts. Uh, but she isn't a Hindu as she always likes to specify, but she has a unique connection with the world in a sense of Hinduism. Braja Sorensen, thanks very much for being on the Grid podcast. Hi, thank you, Hindu. How are you? Braja, I am very well and how are you? I want to begin by asking you Braja one small question which is tell us or explain to our uh, listeners how did your journey begin? How did you arrive in Mayapur? You know, what really happened? What was your uh, journey like? I basically in, you know, in the 80s I set up around Australia to kind of explore and look for some adventure or life or purpose or something and didn't really find much um and eventually i came into contact with these uh, uh, my brothers were uh, into the bhagavad gita and the philosophy of the krishna movement and i thought okay i'll give it a try and i liked it i actually liked it and you know i i i really got into the philosophical side of it the meditative side of it um like i said to you at one point before we started this i'm not really that much of a religious person in terms of you know religion or institutional religion so um that kind that side of it didn't really appeal to me but uh, i do love the philosophy the spiritual practices and you know a few years later my husband um i met my husband he lived in denmark i lived in australia we both didn't want to live in either place as both of us wanted to you know have an adventure so we both settled on india and we've been here ever since that's 20 years ago so that's it in a nutshell i mean you want you want to ask how would how did you settle in india though how did you come upon my abode how did you settle in india Well, we'd both been to we actually settled on Bombay to begin with um because we both worked for uh, publishing companies he worked for one in Sweden I worked for one in the US but we could work online and uh, we thought we would live in Bombay because it was very you know up to speed cosmopolitan you know probably more like the west than anywhere and we thought we would uh, acclimatize quite well uh but when we arrived there um it had changed a lot it had expanded in a big way and we kind of felt a bit lost and i guess we went to we'd both been to mayapur um and the idea actually of living in a remote village had really never occurred to me <laughs> uh it was my husband's idea and i said okay let's let's try it and we love it we've been here ever since. I mean, Mayapur is a very unique place. It's not just some remote village. It's, 
you know it's uh, yeah it's the it's, it's in a sense uh, the headquarters of um of the rao hari rama hari krishna movement the iskon movement well it's yeah goes back 500 years actually it goes back way before that um it's the uh, gaudiya vaishnava movement which is yeah of chaitanya mahaprabhu and that whole tradition chaitanya mahaprabhu yeah so and yes this is where iskons um it's the basically the spiritual headquarters of iskon yes actually you know having said that i'm not very much of an institutional person people ask me all the time how can you live in mayapur then and i quite simply tell them they say that the eye of the hurricane is the safest place to be so that's where i am <laughs> and tell us a little bit about the life that you lead what exactly do you do at mayapur do you continue to work in publishing because now of course even more than 20 years ago perhaps one could work from any part of the world especially if one is in publishing yes yeah um yes i still work uh, in publishing i work for um, a couple of people i help them with writing i do my own books um when we first got here uh, i was editing a magazine my magazine um you know i just picked up things as i went along and uh my husband was still working for Sweden for a Swedish company and um you know as i started to go along i thought you know i really actually want to write a book because uh of the questions you know like you're asking you know why did you go to india what was the journey why did you decide it um you know what do you do there how <laughs> all the all these questions that you ask and i saw that foreigners specifically uh, wrote books that were very critical of india uh that they focused on you know basically three or four things um you know poverty mm. cleanliness mm. um beggars in the street and mm. uh, dog you know and the sad state of the dogs uh, so it was it was very really um it kind of got on my nerves because there was so much more to it than that and uh, i really loved uh, the writing of william dalrymple um you know hit the first book that he really became before which was city of gins and i liked his style because he'd come to delhi as a 18 or 19 year old with his girlfriend then olivia who is now his wife of you know some 20 odd years and they rented a place in delhi this the late 80s and they rented a place in delhi and they thought they'd do it for 12 months and he would write about it we're going to write about a place you need to live here and i really like that mood because other books i've read you know most of the books i've read um, they're pretty much you know someone visits they write their experience down and they present that to the world as the be all and end all of india but it really isn't i mean you know like i i say to people you know they they ask me something about india and i say which india are you speaking about there's so many different indias there's so many indias There's thousands of different Indians. I mean, you know yourself, it's divided by so many different categories and it's by different states, it's by caste, it's by birth, it's by wealth, it's by everything. By region, there's so many differences in India that those, you know, delineations impose so many differences on people. You know, so it's not uh you know, the only thing the only person you could really say is indians anyone who lives in india or who was born here once you get in here those indians there 
you know, the Hindu, the Muslim, the Parsi, the Buddhist, the Christian. There's so many different religious delineations. Then there's the different castes. Then there's the different states. Then there's the different districts. Then there's different cultures, the traditions, the rituals. There's so many differences that separate, you know, not just by a state or borders, but just groups, you know, with so many differences. It's a very, very diverse place and it's a fascinating place. It's an adventure. You know, every day is every day is an adventure. We go to so tell us a little bit about the adventure of Mayapur. Do you think of yourself as somebody who chose, in a sense, maybe uh, a simpler life, for the lack of a better phrase? Or do you think of yourself as somebody who, in a sense, exited from the big city life? Do you think of yourself as somebody who chose a more, if I may use that phrase, a more spiritual life? Yeah, absolutely, it's the right phrase. It's what I wanted. It's what we were both seeking. Some, what does that know, really spiritual. mean? Explain to our listeners what choosing a spiritual life really means. Okay, well, in you know, as I said, the you know, this Bhagavad Gita, it, the basic teaching of the Bhagavad Gita, or any Eastern philosophy, um, is that you're not just this body not the be all and end all if we were a spirit soul so where does the soul exist beyond the body what happens after death is there after when you start going down those tracks you understand okay this is it incorporates the you know the concepts of dharma and reincarnation they're a given you know in any eastern philosophy also um so the point is you know what is who am I? What fuels me? What is life about? And if it's simply about working, buying a house, you know, feeding myself, buying new clothes, and then dying, then shoot me now because I'd like something more. Mm. You know, it's just obviously something more there than that. And I think everybody can appreciate that. Um, so the understanding that. I wanted to live in an environment that uh, supported spiritual life, that it wasn't some part-time thing for me, uh, that it was my life, that it became my life, that everything around me was conducive to that life. Uh, because, you know, everything everything affects us, all our surroundings, all our thoughts, all our input affects the mind and what we put out. So I wanted what was going in for the mind and the senses to be something that I chose. And, you know, it's not that everybody can do that, but we did have the option to live anywhere. So here was a brilliant place. It is a village whose sole principle is, you know, um, God consciousness. You know, uh, everybody here is uh, conscious of God. That's what their life is about. Even the villagers born here, they understand this is a you know, what is considered a holy thumb in India. Um, other places, you know, like uh, Rishikesh, Vrindavan, uh, Puri, and other, Dwarka, other places, they're all different, you know, dams or holy places. And this is one of them because, of, you know, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's taking birth here 500 years ago. He was the uh, instigator of the Sankirtan public chanting that the Hare Krishnas became famous for in the 60s and 70s. So we wanted to actually 
you know, we kind of, we didn't have any other real desire. We wanted a simple life, yes, but it had to be based on spiritual principles, not just the struggle for existence. I think we've been there and done that. Are you associated with the ISKCON movement? Have you found yourself integrated into that movement? And that's fascinating because you say you don't uh, uh, you don't consider yourself religious in any way, and that brings to the earlier point that you were mentioning uh, as somebody who's integrated into the ISKCON movement, um, which in a sense is quite organized. At least the external world is quite organized. Tell us a little bit about how you have integrated yourself into such an organized system and yet, in a sense, in your own spiritual journey, stand apart. Well, I think it depends on what you need and what you want. Um, some people like to be part of a corporation or an institution or a, a big community. Um, or they want to be a member of a club or I'm just a very private person. I like to, I like to know that, you know, it's, I guess it's like, you know, Catholics or anybody else, they like to know the church is there, but they don't want to move in and be a nun. You know, it's, it's, they'll go to church on the Sunday or their, their practices are, you know, formed around their beliefs and, uh, you know, their traditions and, and so on. So, you know, in, in, it, it's pretty much the same thing. It is a big part of this place, this one, but, um, you know, and I try and help whenever I can, if they, if they need help in writing or editing, you know, any other way. But, um, yeah, I'm not really integrated into the institution in that sense. I don't, I certainly don't feel like I am. <laughs> Um, Tell us a little bit fine. about your personal journey with the Bhagavad Gita, which is another thing that is so integral, and in in the books that you've written, in you know, in the work that yeah. you've done. Tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about tell us a little bit about the Bhagavad Gita for listeners who might not know what it is, and also your personal journey with that text. Okay, well, the Bhagavad Gita is a conversation between Krishna and his uh, friend Arjun, who was a warrior. And they were about to battle, uh, enter the battle of Kurukshetra. It was, it was 5,000 years ago, the conversation. And um, basically, it, 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 the entire 18 chapters is a conversation uh, between the two. And basically, it starts with Arjun was facing you know, this, this huge army, opposing army. And on that army were friends, family, even his grandfather. Um, Arjun's brother was the, um, the, basically the emperor of India, the Maharaj of India back then, um, King Yudhishthira. And his cousins had for many years tried to, you know, usurp the rule and take their territory and banish them from the kingdom and had done several times. And it came down to this battle. And um, basically, Arjun and his family represent, you know, all good things, and the opposing side represented all bad things. And while Arjun and his family never really wanted to fight, in the end, they had to. And when he faces them on the battlefield, he sees his loved ones, and he sits down and puts his head in his hands and says to Krishna, I can't do this. 
I, I just can't go on. I, I actually can't do this. And, you know, within the out of that conversation and that, you know, that giving up, which is, you know, that what he was faced with, I mean, there were millions of warriors involved in that battle, you know, battalion after battalion of soldiers. It was a huge, you know, um, event. Uh, it was no small thing. And it was, you know, uh, in those days, India was pirate. Uh, he, it was it was about the future and the ruling of the entire kingdom of India, and um, it, it wasn't a small thing at all. It affected everybody in India. It affected people outside of India. It affected, you know, that five thousand years later, people are still talking about this conversation as something quite pointed to begin with. Um, but it it from that point on, where he sat down. Krishna addressed everything, starting with, you know, the very basics, uh, you know, how to control the mind, what his duty is, you know, who am I, what's my purpose, uh, what happens when I meet with obstacles, how do I overcome, how do I get through life every day? This is basically what Arjuna was asking. Now, I mean, he might have been a prince and a warrior 5,000 years ago, but the questions he was asking are as valid, are, are still being asked today by people and the answers are, are just as valid because they're eternal answers they're not confined to a specific space and time they're eternal they address every living being they address the answers of every living person and it takes the reader through from very simple things like you know attachment detachment desire anger fear lust, um, depression, uh, duty, yoga, everything. It just takes people through stage by stage of how a human being should pers persevere to develop the higher qualities that are available to them rather than indulging in the lower qualities and being clouded in judgment in purpose and focus so it's that's basically it in a nutshell um, and how has this spoken to you in your life do you think i mean can you tell us your own finally can you tell us your own journey with this text i mean in different situations in life how has it helped you basically i think from the beginning uh, what appealed to me was that it did answer every question I was brought up in a religious environment. Uh, my mother is a Christian. Uh, we went to church. I went to Sunday school. Um, it was uh, it was a very nice upbringing. Uh, we were taught to respect God and you know always be conscious that you know, God was in our lives, which you know I'm very grateful for. But I realized in my early teens that I really wasn't getting answers from. Um, the church or any of the scripture that the church offered, which was basically just the Bible. Um, I, nobody knew, you know, who God was, what he looked like, what his names were, but, you know, did he have friends? Um, uh, did he have relatives? Uh, where did he live? I mean, if we were made in God's image, then he must have an image also. What does he look like? Is he an old man with a beard? And if you're God, why do you choose to be an old man? 
and why do you only wear you know long white robes and flowing white beard it just didn't seem to appeal to me as a, a, a very solid option that you know it just seemed very limited but when i came across the bhagavad gita i was finding answers like i said they were not only existential answers like who am i and what is my purpose uh, but they were just simple answers about daily life you know how do i get through this what does this all mean everything about uh, understanding why things happen to us you understand you know karma and reincarnation or your own intent your own desire your own actions uh, your own purpose all of those things decide what happens to us um, so when you understand on a broader spectrum you know, what the material energy is about and what the spiritual energy is about you start to understand how things operate the Gita explains how the material world functions um, you know how we're affected by the material energies how we respond to the energy um, you know bad energy good energy passionate energy um, all the different things that affect us how to um, you know nourish or nurture more the positive energies rather than the negative and how that we we are the people in control of that you know, uh, we choose basically we choose what our destiny is um, there's always been this massive you know, question in the world of you know are we deciders of our own destiny but i would say yes absolutely we are absolutely in every way but that's not enough to say yes we are it's like, okay then what do i base my decisions on how do i do it where do i go what how am I guided? How do I know how this place works? How do I know what's right and wrong? How do I know who decided what was right and wrong? Who did decide what was right and wrong? And where do they get their info from? You know, just basically it covers everything from a very basic step, uh, uh, starting point up to the most ultimate you know, question of the time of death, the destiny of the soul and who I am after I'm out of this body or who I am inside this body not just this body and you know it is said in the Gita it's like it's like a, it's like a vehicle you know there's a driver of the vehicle and when that vehicle breaks down you get out of the vehicle and you walk away or you get into another vehicle that's basically what we're doing we're using these bodies as vehicles so my desire was to affect this life in any way I could and I find that Gita gives basic simple directions to understanding the world, understanding who we are, understanding our place in the world, learning how to get through uh, not only life but every day and it doesn't matter if you're living in a you know, holy sacred place or if you're living in a you know sixth floor of a walk up in new york city or you're living in a sprawling mansion in the foothills of australia it doesn't matter where you are a village in india or wherever every single thing that's written in the bhagavad gita applies to every single person in the world it's as simple as that 
Fascinating. And you've, of course, written a book called Living with the Gita. Well, Braja Sorensen, uh, you know, you've obviously had a fascinating journey and you're continuing to have a fascinating journey. Congratulations on all the wonderful books you've written. Congratulations on all the fine writing that you've done. And thank you for sharing your journey with us through this podcast. Thank you for asking, Hindu. It's nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm Hindul Sen Gupta. This is the Green Podcast. You were listening to Braja Sorensen, the writer from Mayapur, on her journey into spirituality, living a spiritual life, and with the great text, the Hindu text, the Bhagavad Gita. Thanks for listening. <laughs>